0: Engaging Leader episode 98, Overworked and Overwhelmed, four tools for leaders to reclaim their lives and boost productivity, featuring Scott Eblen. your leadership inspire trust, passion, and action? Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome to the show, Engagers. Many leaders today are chronically overworked and overwhelmed by the seemingly nonstop demands of their time and attention. If you feel like you're constantly outrunning burnout, resentment, and collapse, chances are you aren't performing up to your potential as a leader. Now, hard work tends to go hand in hand with success, but over the long term, that missed potential could translate to missed career opportunities and burnout. Plus, if you're always scrambling to get things done, you may be missing the big-picture perspective. Now, my guest and I today, Scott Eblen, discuss some simple but powerful steps that leaders can take right away to reclaim your life and drive big changes in productivity for you and your team. Scott Eblen is the author of two books. His first was The Next Level, What Insiders Know About Executive Success. And today we're talking about his new book, Overworked and Overwhelmed, The Mindfulness Alternative. Scott is on the faculty at Georgetown University, he's a former Fortune 500 executive, and he's the co-founder and president of The Eblen Group, a professional development and executive coaching firm. Scott Eblin, welcome to The Engaging Leader.
1: Hey, Jesse, thank you. I'm really actually very happy to be here. I appreciate this.
0: Scott, what do you mean by Mindfulness
1: that's a great question and a great place to start. Uh, What I mean by mindfulness is it sort of equals two characteristics. The first is awareness and the second is intention. And so when I talk about awareness, I mean awareness of what's going on around you in any given moment or any given time, but also, and maybe even more importantly, what's going on inside of you, you know, like what's your internal reaction or response to everything that's going on externally? Because Uh, Quite often, we can't control the extrinsic or the external factors. All we really can control is our intrinsic or our internal response. So, awareness is the first thing, and that kind of leads to the response part. That's the intention, you know, and and it's the action that I'm either going to take, or sometimes more importantly, not going to take, you know, in, in relation to whatever it is that I'm aware of.
0: You know, as I was reading your book, and I came across your definition for mindfulness and that combination of awareness and intention, which I had never really thought of juxtaposing those before. It reminded me of the old Stephen Covey line, uh, begin with the end in mind. So it's kind Mm -hmm. of the the intention part. Um, But the one thing that you added with this awareness, which is as you said, both being aware of what's going on around you and within you. And it actually, I, th- as you describe it, helps you when you define what end you're looking for, the outcome or your intention, you end up holding on to it a little bit more loosely, don't you? You don't get so obsessed with the results.
1: <laughs> That's a great point. I mean, you know, Gandhi, I, there's a quote that I have from Gandhi in the book. uh where uh, paraphrasing here. He says, we should never take any action without an expectation of the result that should follow, right? But that's not to say, he goes on, that we should cling or grasp to a particular result. Uh, one of the people I interviewed for the book is a, is a wonderful educator named Ward Malliard. And he said um, – you know, pretty much all suffering in the world comes from holding on to the result, you know, and he's, he's not the first person to say that. I think the Buddha said that, you know, thousands of years ago, too. But, you know, it's really true. We get attached to a particular outcome. It's, I think it's got to be this way. And if we're aware and kind of pay attention to what's going on, what's happened before, we kind of learn that there's more than one way. You know, and that if we have this intention that flows from an awareness, if we have an intention around what outcomes we hope for or expect to see, you know, it's the old thing: if you don't know where you're going, any road will get you there. It's it's good to have intentions around outcomes, but as you say, kind of hold it loosely or be flexible in your own mind and, and heart, really, about uh, how that outcome turns out. I, I think we're going to be a lot more effective and certainly a lot happier over the long run if if we take that approach
0: so having the, the the intention thinking about the direction that you want to go it's sort of like a compass that helps you point you in in the direction that's right for you but then on the way there i think as you talk about in the book remember it's it's more about the journey you're going in the right direction but then uh, be present in each moment and and enjoy the journey for what it is
1: yeah, or just accept the journey for what it is. <laughs> you <laughs> maybe you maybe don't always have to enjoy it, but you know you can accept it at least, right? And you know, the, Carl Jung, uh, we all we always hear this line. I learned in doing the research for the book. Who wrote it down first? It was Carl Jung. The uh, the line is "What you resist, persist." You know, and you know, if I'm fighting against something, you know, it just kind of from an internal or an intrinsic standpoint, it just kind of makes things worse. You know, and just always pushing back against it or struggling against it. And it's just like that sense of struggle leads to, you know, kind of the main title of the book, actually, Overworked and Overwhelmed, Feeling That Way. And I think what a lot of people end up in these days because of, I think, two big factors. One started in the financial crisis in 2008 in the public sector, in the United States was compounded by the government shutdown and sequester a year or two ago. Uh, everybody's operating in an environment of doing more with less. Even though the economy is starting to come back, most organizations have become so adept at requiring folks to operate in a more with less kind of scenario that it just continues. If I'm with if I'm with a room full of people. Uh, executives and managers and ask them, let's say it's 100 people, how many of you are in the same job you were in a year ago, but the scope is a lot bigger today than it was a year ago. 70 or 80 hands are going to go up out of 100 people on that question. Mm -hmm. Invariably, that's the case. So that's one big factor that I think is having people feel overworked and overwhelmed. And then the other is the 24-7 connected environment that we all live in now and the smartphone, the introduction of the iPhone in 2007, just turbocharged that. And so you know there's a lot of input coming in all the time, and people it's easy to feel spun up. I call it chronic fight or flight and and you know it can lead to this real sense of struggle and what I'm trying to help people learn how to do frankly is you know come up with an answer to that you know and the answer is not working harder. you know I'm going to get more done this week uh, because you can't get it all done in any given week that's just a fact and so what is the answer? I think it's the mindfulness alternative to be somewhat more mindful in how you approach your work and your life. And I, by mindful, I mean aware and intentional. Uh, I don't mean that you've got to meditate like a Buddhist monk you know, for hours a day. To, to benefit from some sort of mindful routine or set of mindful routines. I think there are things that are easy to do for most people and certainly likely to make a difference, things that we can learn from the mindfulness tradition that can be applied by the average person very effectively today to feel less overworked and overwhelmed.
0: Well, in this conversation, I know that you and I are planning on talking about four uh what we would call killer apps that people can use to help them accomplish that. But before we get into those, you, your model for helping folks determine what which are the right apps or routines to put into place is what you call a life GPS. Can you tell us about that?
1: Sure. So you mentioned Stephen Covey earlier. The uh, The life GPS is something that my wife and I came up with like 20 years ago. Uh, for ourselves. My wife is named Diane, and we were relatively young parents 20 years ago and had a lot going on, probably feeling overworked and overwhelmed for sure, you know, young in our careers, young in our parenthood, young in our marriage. And The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Stephen Covey's book was huge, you know, back then. I probably read that book three or four times and really loved it and learned a lot from it. But we both kind of felt like as good as this is it's kind of hard to put it into everyday practice, I mean like his he never really said, "Do this and then <laughs> right. do that. you know it was kind of like a lot of principles, which is great, but you know it's like, how do I translate this stuff and into things that I can do day in and day out? So we started playing around with our own little one pager uh which we ended up calling in the end the life g p s and since then, I've, over the last 15 years in our Eblin Group business, I've used it with thousands of people, uh, executives, managers, and professionals with pretty good outcomes. And so, the Life GPS is three questions that we've set it up in sort of a graphic way on a, on a one pager. That when you answer those questions, it becomes a reference point, just like you know the GPS app in your smartphone is a reference point for getting where you actually physically want to go. The GPS is a reference point, life GPS is a reference point for that, you know, and other aspects of your life. So those three questions are, the first one is, how are you when you're really at your best? You know, when you're really in the zone, you know, peak performance mode, a state of flow, just, you know, a lot of different ways to describe that. But when it's easy, <laughs> you know, when when life or work feels easier, those peak experience kinds of times, Um how do you feel? You know, and how? And what are the four or five words that capture that for you? You know, when you're really at your best. And so we've got different exercises that I, we use with clients that are also uh, described in the book for determining that. You know, how are you at your best? And then the second big question is, uh, what are the routines that you either have in your life or maybe need in your life to make it more likely that you show up at your best? Uh, Aristotle. Uh, one of my favorite lines of all time, in, in terms of personal development, is the line from Aristotle about "We are what we repeatedly do." Excellence then is not an act, but a habit. And um, you know that's kind of where I'm coming from, and Diane and I were coming from on the routines. There are things that we probably need to do day in and day out that are going to make it more likely that we show up at our best. And we'll talk, you and I, Jesse, we'll talk more about you know, those routine domains and the killer apps related to them. But that then sets you up for the third big question in the life GPS, third and final question, which is, okay, if you're showing up at your best most of the time, what outcomes do you hope or expect to see in what I think are the three big arenas of life? Your life at home, your life at work, and your life in your community. And so just capturing in a short headlines you know over the coming year, what am I hoping for in these three arenas, homework and community if i'm sh- if I'm really showing up at my best, and so if you think about it, you know with the awareness of how I am at my best and the intention around routines that help me show up that way and the outcomes that should flow, I hope would flow from me showing up that way, then we kind of capture this definition of mindfulness that I'm using, you know that mindfulness equals awareness plus intention.
0: Scott, you mentioned that uh, there's four domains in life and in the book you offer a killer app plus some additional hacks for each of those four domains. Can you share with us what those four are and what what the killer app would be for each?
1: Yeah, sure. So four domains of routines, right, that that help you show up at your best. And so those domains, they kind of build on each other and the first one is the physical domain because no matter what our level of ability is, what our physical capacity or ability is, pretty much everything else depends on making the most of whatever we have to work with from a physical standpoint right and so the killer app for the physical domain is movement and there's some really interesting research out in the last few years that can be summed up with the headline sitting is the new smoking yeah. you know that, that if you if you sit for eight or nine hours a day like so many of us do the impact on your life expectancy you may as well be smoking a pack of cigarettes every day and so movement is the killer app for physical routines uh, the killer app were um, mental routines, and that's the second r- domain of routines, is mental. Kind of builds on physical, and the killer app there, interestingly enough, is breathing. Um, one of the pieces of research that I came across in doing doing the book was the average person has seventy two thousand thoughts a day, hmm. according to according to functional MRI uh, research that's been done at the University of Southern California. That's a lot, right? So there's a lot of chatter up there, and breathing is proven to help you quiet the mental chatter that enables you to be more aware and then intentional, more clear and mindful about what you're trying to do and how you're trying to do it. The next domain is relational. You know, If I've got the physical and the mental thing working well, then I can set myself up hopefully for strong relationships in my life you know both my life at home my life at work my life in the broader community and there are probably routines that I need to follow to strengthen to build and strengthen those relationships the killer out there is listening and in the book we talk about three styles of listening uh, that people uh, practice uh, a couple of which one of the first of which they probably practice uh, more than they want to, uh, and, and, and a third of which they maybe don't practice enough, uh, and that leads us finally to the last domain of routines, which is spiritual. And what I mean by spiritual in, in this respect is uh, staying connected with your sense of purpose. You know, your sense of purpose in life. You know, like why am I here? You know, not just in this room or on this podcast right now, but in life. You know, why am I here? And uh, the killer app routine that helps people stay connected with that I think is reflection some regular type of reflection that maybe either helps you ponder that question why am I here or maybe helps you assess uh, so how am I doing against that? you know if that really is my purpose, how am I doing
0: scott i'd like to dig a little deeper into a couple of those one is is breathing. Can you tell us a little bit more about that because i'm i'm I think a lot of people would think, well, breathing, I do that all day every day.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not like a, the price of admission, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I have to do that. Uh, true, very true. Um, so, uh, last summer, I, I went through a 200-hour yoga teacher training program because I'd started doing more and more yoga in my own life. Uh, for health reasons, frankly, to, be, to begin with, and then just because it was really, really good for me, and I liked it a lot. And I started using some things that I'd learned in yoga in uh, my leadership workshops and then some of my coaching conversations. And I thought, well, you know, if I'm going to be out there kind of freelancing with this stuff, I actually ought to learn more about it. So I went through this 200-hour teacher training program, and uh, I'm proud to say I'm now a registered yoga teacher, which I'm not going to inflict that on very many people. But, um <laughs> But uh, my my teacher trainer uh, was a woman named Brigida. And um, during that summer, I was going out to do a workshop on mindful leadership for one of our client companies, a two day workshop. And I was really curious, you know, like what was her opinion on what I should do in that? And so we went to lunch and I said, I'm doing this thing for a bunch of corporate people on mindful leadership for two days. What should I teach them? And without hesitation, she immediately said, breathing. You should teach them breathing. Ambitious people don't know how to breathe.
0: Ambitious people don't know how to breathe.
1: Exactly. (laughs) And that's a pretty provocative statement. But she's been a yoga teacher for 25 years. She's in the Los Angeles area and teaches a lot of type A, you know, high achiever kind of people. There's a lot of, you know... Surfer dudes out here too, but you know, there's <laughs> but there's still some people that are like, you know, like really type A. And she said, Ambitious people breathe from their chest, it's really shallow, <laughs> you know, and mm-hmm. it, they don't really get the oxygenation or the rhythm. And so, uh, you know, the way to breathe actually is to breathe from your belly. And the way you know you can breathe, you're breathing from your belly, is put your hand on your belly and take what you think are deep breaths. And if you're if your hand is on your belly is moving in and out, you're breathing from your belly. If it's not, you're breathing from your chest.
0: Yeah, and you, I like the, the quick exercise in the book where you have us put one hand on our belly and one hand on our chest. And you said a proper in a proper breath, your, your hand that's on your chest is going to stay in one spot. And the hand on the right. belly is going to move out.
1: But if you're breathing shallow, the hand on your chest is going to move up and down, not in and out, but kind of up and down, you Mm -hmm. know, because you're like, I'm just like up here in my sternum, you know, (laughs) you know, like that. And Mm -hmm. it's just, it's just too much. And the the other thing about the breathing, we haven't talked about this yet. Uh, I I think I might have mentioned it briefly, but I think because of everything that's coming at them, uh, most professionals today, many professionals today, are in this chronic state of fight or flight, and I know I mentioned that. And uh, fight or flight, everybody, under, you know, everybody's heard of that, and it's it's actually your body's sympathetic nervous system it's part of your autonomic nervous system and you know when there's a crisis or an emergency it's good to have a fight or flight response you know you can spring into action and you know your kid's trapped under the car you get that superhuman burst of strength and lift the car up and free your kid i mean that's a you know thank god for that right mm-hmm. uh, but if you're living in fight or flight the impact of that is devastating On both your professional performance as well as your overall health and well being. You know, you can think about the amount of anxiety and and just kind of skittishness that comes from having those stress hormones elevated all the time, or your blood pressure's up all the time or your digestive response is de-elevated all the time, so you get ulcers and irritable gut and all that. Your immune system is down all the time, so you get higher rates of infection. You get sick more often. You really don't feel good. And, of course, that impacts not just your professional life but the rest of your life. And so everybody's heard of fight or flight. Very few people I'm learning have heard of rest and digest, Okay, and that is, uh, it's another part of your body's autonomic nervous system. It's the parasympathetic nervous system. And the way your body is designed is that the fight or flight is your body's gas pedal. The rest and the jest is your body's brakes. Mm -hmm. You would never drive a car and only use the gas pedal. That's a recipe for disaster, right? Likewise, you should never run your life or your body or your mind. So you're only in fight or flight with the gas pedal and never using the brakes of rest and the jest. So back to breathing. Um, breathing deeply activates the rest and the jest system. You can activate your rest and digest response in three deep breaths. And you know, I saw another a little piece of research or an article recently after I, after the book was already had gone to print. Navy SEALs are trained to breathe like this, right? Mm. You know, so they have a little exercise they call four by four by four. Four minutes of breathing on a four count on the inhale and a four count on the exhale through the nose. And they do that for four minutes. And they do that several times a day because what it does is it activates their rest and digest response enough for them to quiet their mind and quiet the chatter. And it helps them focus You know, like in their case, like a laser beam, right? They need to. I mean, like you're getting ready to storm Bin Laden's (laughs) compound. You kind of need to have your, you know, you kind of need to have your thoughts together on that, right? Yeah. And you need that. You need to stay calm and focused, aware and intentional, mindful, no matter what happens in there, right? And so that breathing really evens it out for them. You know, it's uh, biologists call it homeostasis. You know, it's a balance. Between fight or flight and rest and digest. And so, you know, most of us aren't storming bin Laden's compound, but all of us are under stress. And so, that breathing routine and learning how to breathe from your belly and kind of doing it over a few minutes, even, uh, is huge uh, in terms of showing up uh, both aware and intentional, mindful.
0: So if we could at least get three deep breaths in before that next critical conversation we're going to have or that meeting where you really need to be fully present and yeah. come with all of your creativity and energy and focus, th- at least three deep breaths. But if you could do four by four by four, that's even better.
1: Totally. Totally. And, and again, that's three deep breaths. Once you learn how to take the breath, pretty easy to do, right? Mm-hmm. It's just getting yourself into a routine. What I like that my clients do is when that meeting ends, take three deep breaths. It kind of clears you out from the previous conversation. And then as you suggested, Jesse, before that next meeting starts, take another three deep breaths and, you know, kind of get yourself set up to ask yourself, what am I trying to do in this next conversation and how do I need to show up to do that?
0: One more question about breathing in, in the exercise that you teach in the in the book to just make sure we know how to do these belly breaths, in yeah. addition to the belly breath or the breathing from the diaphragm, you teach to breathe in through your nose and out through your mouth. Why is that important?
1: Um, I think it depends uh, really on what you're trying to do. Um, this is getting kind of yoga-ish here. <laughs> Most of the time in yoga, you're going to breathe in through the nose and out through the nose, right? Mm. And and it just it's a deeper form of breathing, okay? Um, but that also has a tendency to kind of heat your body up. And so if you're in a situation where your body kind of feels overheated, you know, or maybe you're just kind of spun up a little bit, taking that in through the nose and then... <sighs> You know, letting it go through your mouth, if you really want to uh, kind of turbocharge that, stick your tongue out <laughs> while you breathe out through your mouth and just go, ah! <laughs> you know, like, like, a, like a lion's roar. And it just it releases a lot of the stress buildup, right? And so, you know, typically if you just kind of want to keep it even, I think in through the nose and out through the nose is probably the preferred way to go. But if, if you're in, you know, kind of an extreme stress, or you feel like I need to kind of cool myself down a little bit. Then in through the nose and out through the mouth is is a good thing to try. Okay. And then
0: stick your tongue out and roar. That's <laughs> the, <laughs> if,
1: if if you're in a place where you can do that. Yeah.
0: Well, let's talk a little bit about reflection. I, I think that the other two killer apps we've talked on elsewhere in other episodes of the show about moving and listening. Yeah. And you go into you provide a lot of great information in the book, but reflection is probably something that people aren't as used to hearing about. Um, what? How does someone go about get, getting started with this killer app of reflection?
1: Right, and so the, it's the killer app for the spiritual domain of routines, right? So just to refresh, we're talking about staying connected with why are you here, you know, in the biggest sense of that question. Uh, how are you showing up against that? Uh, and just how are you connected with that sense of purpose? And so I think regular time for reflection, you know, and and all the interviews that I conducted with people and all the research that I've read through uh, and really just my own personal experience with some of this stuff um, and my clients' experiences. Um, I think reflection on a regular basis is really important. And so a lot of folks, you know, coming out of a lot of your listeners, I'm sure, you know, come from a religious tradition of some sort. And, you know, organized religious traditions all have routines or rituals of reflection, like prayer, you know, can be can be that way or or meditative chanting, you know, can be that way. And other other traditions um, are lots of traditions, you know, so they're singing, you know, you know, can be that way because, you know, there's something there's that rhythmic, repetitive kind of motion again that sort of activates. That parasympathetic rest and the jest response that opens up your mind and, and your heart, really, to, you know, connect, you know, with that bigger sense of purpose. And I think that's probably the reason why, you know, a lot of traditions, traditions sing in church. But the one that I think is available to anybody at any time, and it's, you know, it can be totally private or it can be very public and you can share it with people, is what are you grateful for? You know, what, what's going on right now that you're grateful for? Um, because I, I can pretty much guarantee you anybody that has the means to listen to this podcast has stuff in their life that they're they could be grateful for. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and and there's always stuff that's going wrong and there's always stuff that's hard and difficult. Um but again, um most of us who are hearing this conversation, I think, you know, have reasons to be grateful. So I think that's one. I mean, one one of the things that I wrote a blog post on this in the last year in our Mindful Mondays feature on the on the blog uh, called it a room full of gratitude. And what I did to write that post was I just looked around my office at, at all the things and artifacts in my office that remind me of things that I'm grateful for. You know, you know, my family for sure, my wife, my kids, uh, experiences that I've had. You know, little mementos from different experiences I've had or photos of of places I've been or people I've been with, Um, you know, diplomas on the wall from places I went to school. I mean, you you know, (laughs) look around where you are. If you need, you know, if you need some stimulus to think about why am I grateful, look out the window. You know, I mean, it's just, there's so many things, so many ways to, you know, look at your body. Um, We haven't talked about this. I, I have multiple sclerosis and, that was um <clears throat> I was diagnosed in 2009 with that and in 2009 and 2010 were really rough years for my family and me because you know, we I was I'd been a runner my whole life um would run <clears> had <throat> run marathons and all of a sudden I was having trouble walking around the block mm-hmm. you know I was having to pull myself up by the banister to get upstairs to the bedroom in mm-hmm. 2009 and um you know my career depends on being able to string coherent sentences together, <laughs> you know, <laughs> e- either in writing or in, in, in speaking with clients and, and audiences. And there were days in 2009 where I felt like I had a wet sponge inside my skull, mm-hmm. you know, it just, and that's pretty typical with MS. And, um, you know, 2010 I was on a, on a big drug trial and uh, that honestly didn't end well because it, it almost caused liver failure for me. And so then, okay, now what? You know, And Diane, my wife, suggested, why don't you try yoga? And um, I was really nervous about that because I was having so much physical trouble to begin with. But I went to the class the first day and the teacher said, uh, listen, you got nothing to worry about. We've had other people in here with chronic illnesses. We know how to handle you guys. And here, here's the deal. If you come here three days a week, it'll change your body. If you come here more than three days a week, it'll change your life. So I went more than three days a week. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And and she she was right. And that was really kind of the beginning for me of all this work in a a serious way. It was the beginning for me, or a big part of the reason why I wrote this book. I mean, I I wrote this book because I see people out there. I work with people that are overworked and overwhelmed. I feel that way sometimes too. Um, But I also wrote it because this mindfulness alternative has meant so much to me. Personally, you know, it's 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 enabled me to still travel around the world doing business, to still write a second book, to go to Paris with Diane for our 25th anniversary, to do headstands in yoga class most every day, which I've never done a headstand in my life before four years ago. <laughs> you know, and so I got a lot of stuff to be grateful for. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, Diane and I talk about that a lot there's a little story we ha- we like that i read in a book called uh, are you ready to succeed several years ago I won't bore you with the story but the punchline is good thing bad thing who knows
0: it's a, it's a great story I, it, that was the first time i'd heard that story was, it, oh, was yeah? in your book so yeah i i'm going to remember that one
1: yeah but the you know it's so true right i mean we tend to judge things you know that's a good thing that's a bad thing well you actually you don't really know Because, you know, it's gonna change. And that's a that's another thing that MS has taught me. It's gonna change. I have quote unquote air quotes good days (laughs) and bad days with MS, but I learned that neither one of those last, you know, it's gonna change in the next hour. Mm -hmm. And and when I extrapolate the lessons that I've learned from that to the rest of my life, and I think about what my clients and overworked and overwhelmed people are dealing with it's not always going to be that way. Or there are things you can do to lessen that. And I think reflection and paying attention to what you're grateful for, that's a great way to get started.
0: You just talked about, in terms of reflecting on what you're grateful for, having some visual cues in your physical environment about what you're grateful for. And in the book, you provide some examples of uh, people who take maybe the first, uh, five, 10, even 20 minutes mm-hmm. of their day to reflect on what they're grateful for. It's yeah. interesting. I have long, I was inspired by a, a pastor at a church that I used to, you know, where we used to live who mentioned, um, having a little bit of a reflective routine like that at bedtime. And way back then I, this was whew, 15 years ago, I put that into practice and it's both, uh, so it's basically a, for me, it's a prayer. I'm, and I'm, and I'm just reflecting on what, what all I'm grateful for. And it often ends up uh, being a reflection of what happened that day, but it mm-hmm. might be longer term than that. And it's interesting both in terms of providing that perspective that reflection brings and gratitude brings, but it also tends to release a lot of the negativity or tense stress or tension that you have at the end of the day. And usually I fall asleep before I get to the end of whatever I've I have, been reflecting about. It's a, I,
1: have, I have the same exact experience. <laughs> I'm sure you've heard of Deepak Chopra mm-hmm. and I had the opportunity to be in a weekend workshop with him a year or two ago and well, me and 400 of his closest friends. <laughs> uh, it's not like me and Deepak. <laughs> uh, but, uh, he he talks about a process at the end of the day. He calls it recapitulation, hmm. you know, recapitulate your day and, and, and do exactly what you just described, Jesse, which is just to think and reflect back on what happened that day. And I, I've, I don't do that every night, but the nights where I remember to, I do. And I've never gotten to the end of the day before I fall asleep.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So it's a great
1: way to get yourself ready for sleep, physical routines, by
0: the way. (laughs) Well, Scott, you talk about in the book about one commitment each leader has to make in order to really, I guess, make these routines uh, effective or, or happen.
1: Right. Um, the commitment is to believe that the only person who's going to take care of you is you. Mm-hmm. You know, that uh, w- waiting for somebody else to uh, free up your calendar, you know, and, and quit sending you so many appointments or so many emails or so many text messages or all these things that are coming in that are making you feel overworked and overwhelmed, you've got to step back and take at least a few minutes a day to do some of these routines, you know, you know, is, is, is sitting and breathing and meditating for 20 minutes really good for you? Sure. Absolutely. There's Nobel prize winning research that, that proves that it it enhances your genetic expression. Your chromosomes are healthier when you meditate. Uh, So there's good reason for that. But can you get 20 minutes every day? Maybe not, you know, maybe your travel schedule is so busy That you just can't squeeze it in that day, but can you get five minutes? You probably can, probably can. Is five minutes better than none? Absolutely. And so that's that's a big you know that's one example of that kind of commitment. Understanding in the book, I call them big rocks, Um, and I got that term. You know, the story we've all heard the story about the science professor who's up in front of the classroom and he's got a big jar and on the table he's got a pile of rocks and then some little little smaller rocks. He's got the big rocks, the smaller rocks, the pebbles, the sand and he asks the class, can we get all this in the jar? Oh, no way you can get all that in the jar. He said, "Well, okay, let's see. So he puts the big rocks in first, obviously, and then fills in the empty space with the smaller stuff until he gets all the sand in and then he reaches underneath the table and pulls out a can of Budweiser and pops (laughs) it open and pours it in. He says, just to prove the point, there's always time and room for a beer. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, it's uh, the big rocks. What are the big rocks that you have in your life, physically, mentally, relationally, and spiritually that you need to leave time for? You know, that you need to schedule first. You know, that would be the thing. Every leader I talk to, and I talk to about 50 Really senior business leaders and organizational leaders, people like Chris Massetta, the CEO of Hilton Worldwide, the hotel company. Thad Allen, the Coast Guard commandant, who was um, in charge of Katrina relief when it finally started to go well after that first week after the storm. Yeah. Uh, A woman named Carolyn Starner is the head of HR for um, Oakley, the sports apparel and sunglasses company. Some really high-achieving people, a lot of thought leaders like Adam Grant from Wharton, who wrote Give and Take, and, and other folks. To a person, they all do that. They all take time for themselves, and they're very intentional about it. One of Chris Nassetta's big rocks, for instance, and he travels around the world, obviously, in a job like CEO of Hilton. But he lives in Northern Virginia. So does his dad, who's 84 years old. And they have a standing dinner date when Chris is in town. They've had it for 40 years, a standing dinner date on Tuesday nights that they're having dinner together. Him and his dad on Tuesday nights are having dinner together. Now they're probably going to invite other people from the family. They maybe invite the parish priest. I mean, you know, there's uh, there, there could be a lot of people there. But in the room, if Chris is in town, and, you know, two or three Tuesdays out of the month he is, it's him and his dad at dinner together hmm. that's a big rock, you know, oh, yeah. and that's that's a standing commitment on his calendar uh, that enhances his relational space for sure, obviously right probably enhances his spiritual space as well you know keeps him connected with why he's really there to be with friends and family on that kind of routine basis. Um uh, mental, you know, probably so. Uh physical? Well, they're eating, so you gotta eat. <laughs> so, you know, he's getting he's getting the quadruple dip, you know, on, on routines uh by that commitment of a big rock of a Tuesday night dinner date with his dad.
0: Yeah, and I speaking of some of these some of the routines that you can do that actually help all of the domains, though the key one that you mentioned when you're talking about the physical domain as an example of movement and you talk about Walking actually adds to probably all. It gives you an opportunity to add to all four domains with a single routine of taking a twenty or thirty minute walk once a day.
1: Totally, and yeah, if you go with somebody that you need to talk to or care about, that's the relational. That everybody knows, you get your best ideas when you're not in front of your computer. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's a fact. That's a scientific fact. You know, giving your brain a break by walking is a mental routine. And, you know, if you're walking in a place that really inspires you and gets you connected to why you're here, it can be a spiritual routine. Maybe not all four of those every time, but over time, all four of those are probably going to be touched, you know.
0: Well, the book is Overworked and Overwhelmed The Mindfulness Alternative. And we've been talking about the killer app for each of the four domains physical, mental, Relational and spiritual, and I got to say, I, having read the entire book, this book is all killer and no filler. Uh, a lot of <laughs> books that you come across, especially ones written by consultants, have uh, maybe twenty percent really good information, and the rest is just kind of filler material. This is a a book is a page turner from beginning to end, and I, you know, it's just now being released. I predict this is going to be one of the biggest books of 2014, and I definitely encourage our our listeners to get their hands on it, because Scott and I have just scratched the surface. Scott Evelyn, where can people find out more about this book and about your work?
1: Okay, a uh, couple of places. We have a dedicated website for the book called Overworked overworkedandoverwhelmed.com. They can go there. Uh, there's additional information on the book on our website, com. Uh, it's for sale online at uh, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, Indiegogo, 800CEO Read, all the places that you can buy books online and uh, maybe in a bookstore near you. <laughs> 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 but I can't, I can't guarantee that, but uh, you know how that goes, but we'll see.
0: Well, it's been a pleasure. Scott Eblen, thank you for joining us on Engaging Leader.
1: Jesse, thank you for having me as your guest. I really appreciate it.
0: All right, engagers, that wraps up this episode. We'll provide the information and links that Scott mentioned on our show notes for this episode, which you can find on our website at engagingleader.com forward slash 98 as in episode 98. I do want to mention that is going to include links to several of the extra features that are mentioned in the book. There's several videos that uh, Uh, short videos that add to the content in the book. And also you can uh, follow a link to the uh, worksheet that Scott talked about for the Life GPS process. So take a look at our show notes to find those links. And while you're there, you can engage with us by providing your thoughts or questions in the comments section or by clicking the red send voicemail button. You can also engage with us at facebook.com forward slash engaging leader or on Twitter where I am at Jesse Leahy. This is a production of Aspendale Communications, a consulting firm where my colleagues and I partner with mid-size and large employers to attract top talent, engage employees and deliver superior business results. Find out more at aspendalecommunications.com. Our thanks to Joe Sherwood, our producer, Tom Hitchcock, our programming director, James Marlar, our sound engineer, Cliff Ravenscraft, our podcasting advisor, Dustin Hartzler, our website engineer, JJ Leahy our video and web intern, Rick Terence, our announcer, and Max Brody, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, you are always communicating and leading. Let's make the most of each opportunity to engage the people we care about.